There are so many different things happening across the world and lots of opinions around it. It's hard to understand what's going on. Well, we're here to help you digest the biggest news stories and find out what they mean to us as individuals and the conversations they're creating. Join me, Liz. And me, Abby, each week to work out what's going on. Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of What's Going On. We decided we wanted to do a full year in review. So we have alternated stories from a month each, well, every month this year. And we're (laughs) going to start in January and go all the way through. And we promise to try and keep it as concise as possible. But if you've been listening for a while, you know that we're not good at that. We're not good. Um, But we're going to try our best and keep it in a reasonable time. But do get yourself a very big cup of tea and a few biscuits for this one kick us off then with january abby right oh, at the top of the year right at the top. wow i mean i had to wrap my brain to be honest if i uh, to think of something but then i remembered that this happened and i was like oh my goodness so my january story is new zealand's prime minister jacinda ardern resigning which was a massive massive shock i think to everyone across the world and i mean both Liz and I are fans of her. I'm, you know, she's just wonderful. And the way she sort of gained a whole different, like, global recognition, I think, during the COVID pandemic and just became sort of like the world's mum. I think, like, it's the best way to describe her, just the way that she sort of tackled the pandemic with just a very, very strict measure, but very effective. Um, a very different sort of from what we saw across the world. So, yeah, it was a shock announcement to say that she's resigning. But one thing that really sort of stood out to me was what she said about her resigning. We've had a lot of resignations over this year, lots of MPs resigning and other people as well, other people in big jobs. The reasons that she said were she no longer had enough in the tank. I mean, I think it just fits in with her whole sort of quite self-aware. I'm saying this like I've met her. I have not, but I would love to. Um, so would I. It's just the queen woman. In power. Yes. <laughs> um, but it just, yeah. So the bit, the little paragraph that stood out to me that says, I am human. Politicians are human. We give all that we can for as long as we can. And then it's time. And for me, it's time. That's just very interesting to me. I think, especially in the UK, we often see a lot of prime ministers getting pushed out. We don't often see a lot of them choosing to go by choice. So I found it very interesting the way she said it. It was just just a bit of a reminder that politicians are humans. You know, they do a lot for the country, whether you agree with it or not. They have a very, very busy job and a very stressful job. Um, And... Yeah, I think it just sort of stood out to me that one. That is my January roundup story. Liz, on to you for February. So February, I'm going to bring us back home to the UK for this one. So a big thing we saw in 2022 at the end of it was a lot of strike action. And February was nonetheless. Um, So January kind of, sorry, it was yeah December and January. So we had strike action across those. But it stretched into February and we have seen it throughout the year anyway. But what I found quite stand out about February was there was pretty much a strike every single day. 
every single day. February is a 28-day month, right? So nearly 28 days of strikes with multiple strikes happening on one day. And just for people who might not realise, these weren't all just of one sector, were they? They were sort of across the public sector. So just like a skimming down, so on January 1st, there was Public and Commercial Services Union, uh, which is like government staff, um, people that work for driving test centres, museums, ports, airports. And then the National Education Union was on strike on the 1st and the UCU, which is one we're quite familiar familiar with, with universities, that's their union. And then the train drivers run strike and some bus drivers in London run strike. So that's four different sectors one day. Um, he, considered, he continued into Feb and, you know, so you'd seen people in Dundee, in Scotland, more train strikes, um, London Underground, Royal College of Nursing, GMB New Union, Unite. I mean, the list is endless. Physiotherapists. Um, the Bakerloo line of London Underground went on strike. That's a very specific, specific... Yeah, it's the members working on the Bakerloo uh-huh. line had a walkout on the 11th of February. Um, but I suppose if you disrupt one line, put everything into disrupting one line, the impact you're going to have on the rest of them, it's a smart move. Um, As a Londoner, know, I can attest to that. <laughs> if there's one tube line down, the whole tube system is chaotic and... I can imagine yeah Oof. so effective there were university strikes continuing Northern Ireland there was Unite members in health and social care and ambulance staff you can't forget that one quite a big one border force staff went on strike in February so this is your border control that run the Calais Dunkirk Dover channel tunnel terminals getting in at the country the amount of like lorries and stuff and vehicles that pass through that every single day they went on strike on the 17th of feb they strike for their strike concluded at 7 a.m on 20th of february so a four-day straight strike of those workers um and then universities continued to strike which during this time did have a disruption on us um, you know, you lose out on a few lecturers during this time. You're kind of a bit uncertain on, will I go to uni? Won't I go to uni? You know, um, and we're in third year when this was all happening um, in quite a crucial point during our degree and final major project, which was lucky because we could do it ourselves mainly. But yeah, and then healthcare workers and it finished on university strikes and some NEU strikes in the north of England. So yeah, a crazy month for striking. It was a crazy month, and we will. I will say that a lot of those strikes have now been resolved. That is a lot of strikes. I mean, just listening to all of those. Well, I just did a quick like count there. So out of the twenty-eight days in February, because it wasn't a leap year, um, four days were non-striking. So twenty-four out of twenty-eight days had at least one, but more than likely two strikes happening. Uh- I mean, it's it, it's insane. And I think this is where people really start to differ with their opinions on strikes because mm-hmm. we have seen so many of them. And it's interesting to see how public opinion and public sympathy yeah. has changed 
for the different organisations over the year and how's it all gone because you will not find anyone that has not been affected by a train or not a train or a, potentially a by strike. a train strike but a form of strike absolutely um but yeah that is pretty much me wrapping up february with strike action do you want to take on march abby thank you very much yes i will um so my big story which i completely didn't i didn't realize actually happened in march i thought it happened a bit later on but it's gary lineker being suspended from the BBC match of the day. And uh, this was after he criticised language used by government ministers whilst they were discussing the government's asylum policy. And we have had multiple developments of this since. This is when Gary Lineker compared some of the language being used to 1930s Germany, which was obviously just before the Second World War started. Um, So it's very interesting to sort of see how it all happened. And I remember this all going on because it was a small thing. And then all of a sudden, the entire match of the day programme was just gone because everyone was resigning. Yep. And how... Everything. It was purely because he was contracted to the BBC, wasn't it? Even yeah. though he's an independent body that reports on sport generally because his main contract is with Match of the Day, then it was because they hold the like non-biased stance and they have to be neutral. Um, that's where the criticism was. Yeah, this is... So Suella Braverman, who was the Home Secretary at the time, released a video and says... Enough is enough. We must stop the boats. Releases this long video about it. And Gary Lineker responded in a tweet and said, Good heavens, this is beyond awful. And then he says, There is no huge influx. We take far fewer refugees than other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. And I'm out of order. Now, it's very, very interesting. And again, it's mm-hmm. social media, you know, this is one thing yeah. you're learning about these massive stories. Social media is such a key part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and he did eventually, he had a short suspension. Yeah. I think it was only a few days. Um, yeah, was, like, they tried to get other people in. I think they asked Ian Wright to do a match of the day. But they were asking people that are very close friends with Gary Lineker to replace him. And it was like, I feel I think it got the most views or something that night because everyone sat down to see who was going to take on. Yes, like, who was yes, going to replace? Probably got him. an amazing audience because yeah. everyone was just watching. It was a bad number. I remember reading it like it was the most it'd been watched in years, and everyone had sat down to watch Match of the Day because they wanted to say, "Oh my god!" And it ended up being just like um a wrap up you know like they did some highlights like they just mashed them together without a presenter because no one would do it. It's mad. I mean, in solidarity, you change things, and that's mm-hmm. what they did, you know. It was a mini protest, essentially, of which we have seen a lot of those this year as well. Um, so that is my march. I managed to keep that fairly concise, be proud. Um, and Liz, did you want to go for April? Yeah, well, April kind of blends quite nice into this on the topic of social media. So the one I picked was something uh, that might not have been... Well, it was quite big, but it might not have been the biggest story in April, but I just thought it was fascinating. So 
In April, TikTok was fined £12.7 million for misusing children's data. Um, so this was um, by, like, they weren't protecting the privacy of children. Um, it's estimated that up to 1.4 million UK children under the age of 13 use the platform in 2020. So that's the last start of it. So TikTok as a platform is huge. So they were used the data of these children without parental consent. You know, they said they were invested in stopping under 13s using the site because it's a social media platform. It's not just a video watching platform. Um, but what they were doing is they were taking the data that the children were using and using it to track and profile them and potentially present them with harmful and inappropriate content now, if you don't know this is how tiktok works so tiktok as a platform they will analyze it's one of the most fascinating algorithms i get very nerdy over it um so they'll analyze what you like what you dislike what you skip through what you watch the whole video of and you'll notice that you see more and more of that. There's also a thing where if you are sharing this content to the same person, similar things, they'll put them on both your For You pages. It's a very, very, like, it's like intricate and smart system. But obviously, if they're using data from children under the age of 13, there's a problem there. If they're mixing up what this information is by showing them something inappropriate, you know, there's a lot of questions to be asked of them. It is a fairly new platform. There was discuss discussion this year, I believe, of TikTok getting banned around this time as well. Like everyone was panicking about TikTok getting banned and like, I remember like crazy in America over it. Yeah. Like, is it really the end of, end of the world if we've got Instagram reels though? But anyway, it was a reduced fine. They could have faced a £27 million fine but it was reduced to 12.7. I think they got off lightly for how big of a company they are, to be honest. Um, TikTok can be a very strange place. There's a lot of toxic cultures, I think, on there. Um, so, yeah, they should, you know, I'm hoping that something has been changed to protect not only children's privacy, but people's privacy as a whole. I think that is my TikTok April 1. Shall I pass you on? Oh, my God, what month was May? I forgot my months then. Do you want to take May? <laughs> So this one is it's a big one. I remember it happening and it is insane. And I'm sure we were, we're probably still feeling the effects of it now. And that is the Hollywood strikes in America, obviously, because Hollywood is in America. Um, but both the um, Writers Guild and the... Um, Actors Guild went on strike from the 2nd of May. They both ended at different times. So the writers' strikes ended on the 27th of uh, September and the actors' strikes ended in November. And they were over a lot of different things. One of them is the use of AI um, in streaming platforms, overpay, um, and sort of guarantees for the future. The writer's strikes was about sort of them being valued and, again, sort of future-proofing their jobs. You know, this is a massive concern for industries at the moment, um, AI is. It's also a massive, massive thing. Like, it grounded Hollywood, and I don't think people quite realise how big of a deal it would become. Um, but the 
I mean, I've said when they ended, but like the actors' strike was going on for 118 days. That's it's the longest running strike action. There was so many high profile actors involved in it as well. Yeah, uh, a lot of disruption to major shows like Strange Things, Young Sheldon, um, huge impacts. And we felt it over here in the in the UK as well. You know, like filming for Wicked was paused, yes. lots of TV shows. This was a massive, massive thing, and it was very interesting. And linking it back to the Gary Lineker thing, like if you stand together and you create enough noise, stuff gets done. Mm-hmm. And exactly this shows it. And it is incredible that people have now got job security. They've got security around AI and things like that. And AI is constantly evolving. No one really quite understands how how it's going to properly impact the future and how it's going to impact industries. But it sounds there's a good stepping point, definitely. And it was just absolutely brilliant to watch, you know, with someone. Yeah. As I love a good protest, I think they're brilliant. And if you can do it properly and get people talking about it, then you succeed. And that's what they've done. Exactly. Completely agree. So, Liz, do you want to take us away with what's happened in June? So this one, I think you'll all remember. Ocean Gate Expeditions. This was June. This feels like so long ago, but not long ago. It feels like it happened yesterday. So if you don't know what this is, where have you been? Everyone knows what this is. It was a submersible like submarine thing and it was took these billionaires down to view the titanic and it went missing it disappeared no one knew where it was there was like a countdown for how much oxygen it was this could be a film this whole thing it was so intense i remember just seeing it like unfolding and there was search and rescue missions and they couldn't like track the thing And there were just so many faults within this Ocean Gate thing. I mean, one of the billionaires on there was a um, British billionaire. So, like, that was the big angle in the UK. Um, It was um, him and his son, wasn't it? Yeah, crazy. So it went missing on the Sunday. And then they, like, uncovered that it was in the Atlantic Ocean. It was not too far away, but it had actually just, like, the cabin pressure just went. There wasn't anything, like, it wasn't a case of finding bodies. It wasn't like they were going to find this submersible and recover anyone. It was, like, there was a fault. It went, and there were a few... I think it was a couple of months back. They were look. They were pulling the, you know, wreckage to see what. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, huge story because I think there's so much like going on with people wanting to go to space and go and see the Titanic. It's such an iconic thing, you know. Is it like technology and Mother Nature really saying no? You know, is it one of those things where we're not quite ready for it? It was what fascinated me was controlled by an old game controller that they'd modified like yeah. what it, it's ridiculous i mean it essentially you me on it imploded no neither mm-hmm. imploded that's the word could not think of it yeah and i remember working it was one of my first weeks at sky i remember mm-hmm. working on it and it was just an insane story because it was a mystery 
that's why yeah. it was and that I think that's why people were so intrigued by it because no one quite knew what had happened like you like, know and they really were saying that were like pings coming up like signals and then there was like they'd sent this really high like tech like sound motion device thing I don't know I'm not very techy in that way but that they could hear tapping and there was things like a people trying to tap to signal where they are and they bang it but it wasn't that that's not what it was no um, it's generation loaded and yeah that that's what happened it is it was a really tragic case I mean you wouldn't catch me on a submarine I'd say I'm more scared of the ocean than I am scared of space. I think quite that's possibly why it proved that we need to start paying attention to the ocean a bit more because it was. I think so. The reason it imploded was because of the pressure in mm-hmm. the ocean, and it yeah, just essentially. No one knows how big the ocean is. That's what blows my mind. It actually scares me quite a lot. Like I, it is my worst fear. I would not be on a submarine, but. Yeah, it was Hamish Harding who was the British billionaire. He was 58 years old alongside five other people. He was confirmed as one of the passengers by his stepson, Brian, who uh, said on Facebook that his stepfather was in his thoughts and prayers. Um, It was an American that was on with his stepson. That was it. He didn't go on with his stepson. He was on on his own. Um, But yeah, it's a big question because you've got all these big companies like Elon Musk, um's company is it SpaceX here? You've got Virgin Galactic yeah. trying to race to space and do trying to do commercial space flights. Mm-hmm. Should we be is it this is what I mean? The big question for me is should we be doing this? Is this a sign where right, let's just stay on solid ground? Let's stay on planet Earth. And I think a lot of people were asking those questions as it was all mm. happening. And yeah, it was mad. It's very, very tragic ending. Everyone had a bit of hope, you know, thought my god at least maybe someone will survive you know we might get they might, might get them back i think and... it's because no one quite knew what happened because we didn't actually find out that it is imploded until like the friday yeah and so that's a long time of waiting mm-hmm. and because of that all that's left to do is to hope but yeah that is my june one one of probably the biggest stories of the year i'd say definitely and one of the most interesting for sure mm-hmm. i became an expert on deep sea um rescues because of that so fun fact that is your fun fact of the episode there's a pub quiz on it i've sorted (laughs) abby what have you got for us for july well july was the women's world cup in australia and as we've probably discovered i love a bit of girl power and I think this was absolutely brilliant. And I'm not even a big fan of football, I would like to point out, but I thought it was incredible. And it was even made even more incredible by the fact that England got to the finals and they were playing against Spain. And, I mean, we just saw an entire nation come together and just unite behind a sport Football is a massive sport in the UK, but women's football is a little bit, no, not a little bit, it is quite far behind in terms of quality, it's far behind in terms of fans, and there's a lot of people who have a lot of opinions on it, and they are often not very nice opinions about it. And this just saw people realise how brilliant of a sport it is, and also role models as well and I think that's a massive massive thing that came out of this 
Unfortunately, England did not win. It did not come home. I'm still um, sad. I cried outside the pub, if I'm honest. I, I, I wouldn't blame you for that, Liz. I think a lot of people did. Um, but it really taught... It just showed people how brilliant it can be when people get together and just... Yeah, I just I think we just gained some new female icons. And I love them. I love them. I'm a huge Lioness fan. I follow, I now follow the WSL, which is something I didn't really know what it was before. I think from the Euros, I started following the WSL. I am a huge fan of this team. And yeah, if I talk, if you let me talk, I'll talk for a full podcast episode because I am a huge, huge Lionesses fan. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I'm a huge women in sport fan. So I think it was absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it was really good because it got given coverage. I mean, it was in Australia. So the time difference was a yeah. little bit inconvenient sometimes before the games. But oh, I watched a match at like 2am once. 2am exactly. and 6am. Not an England game. It was an, it was a different game. But yeah, I watched a match at 6 o'clock in the morning so I could watch all four. And I, I just think that's what... It got people watching it. It got people realising how brilliant other sport is. And I did a bit of Googling, as you do, to find out exactly how many people actually watched the final. And this um, website says that um, overall, an audience of 21.2 million people watched the BBC's television coverage of the tournament. I think that's the whole thing. Um, But I, the final looks like it was actually watched by 14.8 million. That was the peak. That's yep. an incredible number. So, And the and, thing is, if you account in that number that people were in the pub, I mean, there were about 70, 80 of us in my local pub watching it. So if they've done it on, like, screens that tuned in. It's probably more. And imagine if just a million of those are young girls and they're now inspired. And I think that's something that really stood out. This was something about inspiring the next generation. Mm-hmm. It's about young girls being proud and wanting to play sports. And this is something that is happening more and more. We're seeing a lot more coverage of women's sports. And this just proves that there is an interest in it. Like, yep. you are a perfect example of it, Liz. You started watching or following the WSL. Yeah, massively. After watching all these things. So... There is the demand for it. And we are starting to see broadcasters now change so they are representing that view and that desire to watch these things. Absolutely. I, I, I'm a huge fan. Um, I mean, I'll not spoil the last story, but I was a very happy girl last night. But this I'll explain great. that later on. Yes, That's wait, for, wait for the December one. You jumped ahead. Wait for the December win. <laughs> so that is my, I've done my little and this rant. Um, for the moment about women in sport um, but over to you for August so August this is a big story um, unfortunately it is not as it's nowhere near as merry as the women's world cup it's the Lucy Letby trial this is when we got the verdict the sentencing um, yeah what a month that was I, I worked we worked, we both worked on Let Bay at various points over the last 12 months and see it come to an end was quite something so if you're not aware Lucy Letby was a nurse 
who was at the Countess of Chester Hospital, and she was found guilty of murdering seven babies and attempting to murder six more from June 2015 to June 2016. Um, there's still a lot of inquiry now into the hospital and how they handled it. It's such a huge, high-profile case. I think she was like named the most prolific female serial killer of children of all time um, in the UK, which is so insane. Um, it is just, it's still, you know, having effects now. I think it was only the other week we were discussing it where she finally got told that she wasn't of right mind to be a nurse anymore. Or like she wouldn't, and I thought she was removed from the nursing register. Yes. How did it take that long? That was my big question. But it was a truly horrific case. Um, I think there's appeals happening right now. But you know, she'll spend the rest of her life in prison for what she did. Um, we won't go into too much detail on what happened, but it is out there. Um, but yeah, this was definitely the big story of August. I remember it coming down and then instantly Panorama was on the documentary and how they like followed the case and then obviously working on it and following the case for it just felt very surreal to me that this is it. Let me like that's it. She's been done. Um I th- and I think it was such a shocking case because of the nature of the crimes. Yeah, they were they I honestly stomach churning they were horrendous um I mean I've discussed it with like members of my family my mum um like followed it very closely and you know some of my family members couldn't look at it because of how you know these were small babies they weren't just babies they were um, on a neonatal unit so they were very poorly very little very sick babies that were yeah really tragically killed um but yeah this is august um i won't damn i won't you know share the chilling details of it but it is all out there it's a it was such a huge profile case and it's such a huge thing for um uk court laws because now they've like started filming sentencing in court and they're also looking at making sure that um convicted criminals have to go to sentencing because she didn't Mm -hmm. she didn't go to a sentencing so um they are looking at like it is a groundbreaking um you know changing course uh, court case that will you know have huge impacts on us going forward for quite a while now yeah and I think you're completely right it was so chilling that it just didn't seem real to be honest with you. It felt like you were watching a TV programme. It felt you were like in this bubble of watching a Netflix show or, you know, it's you can't fathom how someone would do this. You can't fathom what goes through someone's mind. But, yeah, there's there's so much to come from this. I think the changing of the courts and how we are with convicted criminals, especially on this level, it gives the victims closure if they see them get sentenced. So giving them that choice and, you know, it it is something that needs to be under review and I think there's a lot within our court system that needs to be under review. So it's opened the doors for that. Absolutely. And I think the government is looking at making it mandatory. A lot of their pledges and promises are about putting victims of crimes at the heart of the justice system and changing it so people do, um, they have to attend their sentencing, which she did not. Um, 
I'm going to go with September, which is it. a little bit of a different story. Um, and it is that Birmingham City Council declared bankruptcy, which it sounds a little bit strange that a council can declare bankruptcy. Uh, but this has happened a number of times and recently declared bankruptcy again. So I think uh, what I wanted to bring in more was the implications of what this actually means for people living there. What it means is that there's reduced services. We're going through a cost of living crisis. We are going through an extremely tumultuous and stressful point in society. And services such as libraries, as parks and public toilets, you know, they're not they're not particularly glamorous things, but they're stuff that councils deal with. And by these services getting cut, a lot of people are going to be impacted. You know, there's mm-hmm. mother and baby groups potentially that are put on by the council. There's all these sorts of things. And it just really sort of struck me. And it says that they've been forced to issue a section 114 notice, which I presume is a notice of bankruptcy, mm-hmm. as it struggles to repay. £760 million in equal pay pay claims. That's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, it's so much money. And for a big city like Birmingham, which is one of, is it the third biggest city in the UK? Yeah. Think so? Second. Yeah, London, Manchester, Birmingham. Yeah, third biggest city in the UK. So that's insane. You know, how would you, that's, that's mad. The amount of people, the amount of culture and livelihoods in Birmingham is crazy definitely definitely and it is a very multicultural it's a very sort of lively they had the commonwealth games there the other year they did so that's possibly what has started this maybe you know if you haven't got the right infrastructure and you're already in debt Mm -hmm. lots of things but in extreme cases councils can be taken over by central government until financial issues are resolved um Mm -hmm. we yet to see sort of what happens I mean, it's just fascinating, and I don't think it's really talked about enough, but, like, councils, your bins, like, I've just yeah, thought about bins. it. Bins. Bin collection. That leads mm-hmm. to so many other issues if you don't have your bins collected. So it's quite interesting to see how this does happen, and like I said, there have been other councils. Primary schools and secondary schools fall under councils as well, don't they? Yes, I think they do. They're funding for primary schools and secondary schools. Yeah, so loads of things that are impacted by it. Um, so, yeah, that's the one that caught my eye. And Liz, did you want to take over for October? October. I do indeed. So this is related to Birmingham as well, so a little nice pass on. In October, the northern leg of HS2 to Manchester was scrapped. This happened at the Tory party conference in a train station in Manchester. prepare for this Liz is going to get quite passionate but quite rightly so but yeah get ready so yeah the irony of it being cancelled in an old train station in the middle of Manchester was very brave from Rishi Sunak I'd say um so HS2 was meant to be a high-speed rail line that connected London to the north um the big cuts happened you know they would cut, cut out the route and whatever but um, they officially announced that they weren't doing the northern leg of it. And, yeah, 
still mad about it now because it would make my life so much easier as a commuter to Manchester from Sheffield. Um, but yeah, so they scrapped it. It had been circling. It would. It'd been in the air. And yeah, they deny. Uh, they decided to announce it at their conference in Manchester. Um, you know, there's a lot of issues with rail service at the minute, and we do need high speed connecting rail. I think uh, they were talking about like putting in a faster one from Sheffield to London, and it only reduces it by fifteen minutes. You might as well get on the longer train for cheaper. Um, but yeah, it is the. F- it's just crazy to me. They've literally there's a line at the end of the tunnel. It goes from London to Birmingham, which aren't too far away from each other either, which is so nuts. the The point was that we were going to connect the south with the north, and once again, it's been pushed away, pushed to the side. You know, will anything ever come of it if we got a new government? I don't know. I probably I highly doubt it. But... Labour, Labour haven't. <laughs> We didn't commit to rebuilding it either, no, which is quite interesting. Is, I mean, yeah, so where's the money gone? You know, there's so much money went into not only the actual structure of it, but the marketing of it, the promotion of it, you know, the independent they bought, companies. Yeah, they bought so much land as well to run this yeah. thing through off people. So, um, I mean, there was protests going, about it going in, but yeah. there's now anger about it not being put in. So, yeah. I'll not try and go too much into it. I think we did it in the October roundup where I went on a bit of a tangent. So if you want to hear the full tangent, feel free to check over October roundup. That was an interesting one. Um, but yes, that is my October story. Um, my November story. Now, this is something that really, I feel really, really strongly about. And I'm sure you do too, Liz. And we've seen a lot of these issues and a lot of these cases, unfortunately, over the past couple of years. Um, and it is this tri- the trial and the verdict of the individual, um, someone called Joseph Pushka, who was convicted of murder for a teacher, a 23-year-old woman called Ashling Murphy. And this, the actual murder took place in January 2022 and it really stood out to me and I mean as we were recording this there's been another verdict of a man being sentenced for killing his former partner and I'm just wondering when enough will be enough and how many other women have to die and have to be murdered for there to be genuine change and we saw Sarah Everard in 2021 be killed by Wayne Cousins as she was walking home from her friend's house. And we have seen Ashling Murphy, who was killed while she was exercising. She was wearing a Fitbit and it showed her exercise starting at 2.51pm. It's not even dark out at that time, 2.51pm. 30 minutes later, it tracked erratic and violent movements. And at 3.31, so half 40 minutes after she started exercising, the Fitbit no longer recorded any heart rate. And it just, I think as a woman, these stories stand out to you and they make me angry and they make me really sad 
And the government and the Labour Party both have made lots of promises. This isn't just a government issue um, and a Conservative Party issue. Both of them are making lots of promises about how to protect women. There's lots of charities that try and protect women. But to me, lots of the issues and lots of the measures that are being put into place are for things that women need to do. And it's things that women already do. I have conversations with many of my female friends about these issues. And when you tell, I I don't know about you, Liz, but when I tell a female friend that another woman has been murdered, it is not a surprise that it happens. I know. There's no, there's shock, no shock to it. It's and, which just is, it's it's acceptance. And it's so hard. And like I say, she's 23. She was 23 years old. That's we're 21. Years we're 21. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And we've seen a lot of these. And like I say, you know, there was another sentencing of a man killing his former partner today. And it really, really stood out to me. And it didn't stand out to me because it was so unique and so, mm-hmm. so much of a shock. It was just because. It was another one. And yeah. it's so, yeah, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than sort of saying it's just so normal that this happened, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And nothing has changed since. This was in, she was murdered in January 2022. Mm-hmm. He got sentenced in November. I've not, nothing has changed and no. nothing will change. And it's so... I mean, there's a sign here and it says the real issue is male violence, not women's safety. And I think that's where it comes from. We need to capture this story. Yeah. We need to stop looking at women's safety and we need to start looking at violence against women. Yeah. And that is my very (laughs) sad and angry and, yeah, rant about this. Um. But you've got a slightly nicer story. I do. I thought we had to finish it off um, with December. And Mary Earps, the goalkeeper for the England Lionesses, was crowned BBC Sport Personality of the Year. If you don't know, this is such a prestigious award. It is um, one of the highest awards you can achieve in sporting. Um, And wow, did she deserve it. She is such an inspiration. She's the first goalkeeper ever in history to have won the award. A goalkeeper has never won it before. And um, sports personalities voted live by the public during the programme. And, um, you know, they do so many amazing awards at the thing. From my um, village alone... um, the Caribbean club where they set up um the cricket teams and stuff. He won Unsung Hero literally ten minutes down the road from me. I drive past it all the time. Same. So he set it up after he came with the Windrush generation yeah. and set up um a cricket club because the black people couldn't play with the white people. So and now they have teams of every culture, every race, all playing football, cricket, hockey, all together. And yeah, he won that one, but slightly off tangent. Just thought I'd give a bit of Sheffield plug there. Absolutely. Um, so Mary Earps won, looking absolutely stunning. She Beautiful was seen, oh, so stunning. She was seen like being talked about by her fellow lionesses, 
And you know what? I was so proud. I was tears last night. I was so happy because she's fought for not only like to show who a goalkeeper is, but during the World Cup, her jersey wasn't sold. They didn't sell the goalkeeper jersey. No. And they, and, but they sell the men's one, but they don't sell the women's one. So she campaigned. It went on sale the other day. I tried to get one. Sold out in minutes. Barely hit the website and they were gone. It shows wow. the impact she's having as a woman, as a person, and just as a role model for young girls and boys in the sporting industry. Um, I mean, there has been backlash. Of course there's been backlash. Um, it'd be wrong of me not to mention Joey Barton in this, who was slating female football broadcasters and the f- women football, and he tweeted, um, sports personality, more effing nonsense. Well done to all involved. Um, he's not a big advocate and I don't want to give him the platform because that's what he wants, but I had to mention it. No, can I, can I bring something else in? Cause I saw an interview mm-hmm. with Mary Epps, um, on Sunday. And yes, I saw was, this, uh, with Trevor Phillips and mm. it is brilliant because he goes, would you like to respond to it? And she went, no, I wouldn't. I'm I don't want to. I'm not going to give him the platform like you said, Liz. No. And I just think that's a brilliant way because, that would you were a, story. a former football manager who got sacked in October and you're very bitter about it quite clearly you're a bitter old man and you should let her com- continue to be the boss that she is so yeah I think that's a good note to end it here Abby absolutely um, and congratulations we saying, to Mary yeah as we were saying in for the July these women are their inspirations and having mm-hmm. her win this incredible award it just it just shows that he's the first goalkeeper ever. So um yeah, I brilliant thing to end it after I completely mm-hmm. brought it down with my um <laughs> November story. Um however, that is that is it. I hope that's it for twenty twenty three, Abbe. Oh my goodness. It's been a year. I mean, we should probably just say that we've had quite a big year as well. Like yes. we graduated in July both mm-hmm. with first class honours degrees. We are mm-hmm. both doing girl bossing it to the absolute yep. limit. And, and then we decided to create a podcast on top of it all. Because we decided that neither of us consume enough news and we don't talk enough that we should do this as well. It's been a brilliant year. It's been a certainly a tumultuous year. Yes. We hope that you've enjoyed our little podcast. So we hope you've enjoyed this December 2023. What's been going on in the year? Um, And please join us for next year where we are going to carry on talking about what's going on in the world. Carry on going off on tangents and making things very chaotic. Absolutely. Um, but would would you expect anything else at this point? It wouldn't be what's going on if there wasn't a tad of chaos and um happy new year year. bye bye